0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines. Russian forces close in on the outskirts of Kiev and conditions in the siege city of Mariupol deteriorate while first talks between Foreign Ministers Sergei Lavrov and Dimtro Kaleva failed to raise peace prospects. Global stocks then lose further ground, with the Hang Seng leading losses in Asia. After tech stocks weigh on Wall Street, oil stays volatile on pace for its worst week since November.
1: The ECB, meanwhile, surprising with a more hawkish tilt as President Lagarde announces the central bank will accelerate tapering in the face of record high inflation and rising geopolitical uncertainty.
2: The Russia-Ukraine war will have a material impact on economic activity and inflation through higher energy and commodity prices.
1: And U.S. inflation hitting a fresh 40-year high, with consumer prices rising nearly 8 percent. But the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen tells CNBC she's not worried about the longer-term effects.
3: We've got a good, strong economy. Inflation is a problem, and it's one that we need to address, but I don't expect a recession in the United States.
0: European leaders meet in Versailles to discuss a unified response to Russia's aggression and energy independence from Moscow. So let's bring you up to speed on the latest news from Ukraine. Russian forces have advanced towards Kyiv over the last 24 hours with troops now thought to be about 15 kilometers from the capital On one axis, that according to a senior U.S. defense official, explaining the advance is to the northwest of the city near Antonov Airport. Russian troops are continuing to bomb cities across Ukraine with hundreds of thousands of civilians sheltering amid an escalating humanitarian crisis. In an overnight address, the Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky branded Russia's attacks as, quote, open terrorism, from experienced terrorists. Speaking earlier, he vowed to target the assets of anyone associated with the Russian bombings. War
4: crimes are impossible without the propagandists who cover them up. I want to tell them one thing. You will bear responsibility just as all those who give orders to bomb civilians. We will find all the property of the propagandists And their associates. We will do our best to confiscate it wherever it is. You love a rich life, love prosperous countries. You will not have this anymore. And this is just the beginning. You will definitely be prosecuted for complicity in war crimes. And then it will definitely happen. You will be hated by Russian citizens.
1: Uh, Maripol remains at the center of the most intense assaults, with the week long siege affecting light heating and water services to residents still trapped in the city. Russian forces have encircled the area for days and have taken control of a number of neighbouring uh, areas, according to Moscow. Well, let's get to Hadley, who's been attending these uh, quite extraordinary talks uh, at a foreign minister level down in Turkey. Uh, there's plenty more um, dignitaries in that part of the world. But let's get to Hadley, who is in Antalya. Hadley, good morning to you.
5: Good morning, Steve. That's right. So, the foreign ministers of Russia and Ukraine meeting over several hours yesterday that came out of those talks with zero results. I had the chance to ask Sergey Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister directly about the tragedy Mario Mariupol. I asked him, do you agree with President Zelensky that targeting pregnant women and children is an atrocity? Do you agree uh, that it's a catastrophe for your own country to destroy the economy at, um, frankly, uh, the whim of the president's venture into Ukraine? Listen to what the foreign minister said in response.
4: Regarding the maternity hospital, this is not the first time we have seen pathetic outcries concerning so-called atrocities by the Russian Armed Forces. On the 7th March, three days ago, or the 6th or 7th, I don't remember exactly, at the UN Security Council, Our delegation presented facts that this maternity hospital had long since been captured by the Azov battalion and other radical factions from where all expectant mothers, all nurses and all personnel had been kicked out. This was a base of the ultra-radical Azov battalion.
5: Russia's foreign minister, they're denying the outcries from the West, frankly, that the humanitarian crisis in Mariupol, uh, part of it is a direct result of uh, Russia's targeting of that maternity ward, of that children's hospital. He called it fake news. He said that this was a group of um, terrorists, not the Russian army. And I thought that was very interesting considering what we've heard, a growing chorus of um, pro-Russian states and pro-Russian media, frankly. And the West would ignore that at their peril, I would say, guys, because we've seen situations like this before, Uh, where the West's narrative um, continues along one vein. And there's a failure to recognize that a significant portion of the world is actually speaking a a very different language as to what's happening right now. Russia still has friends. They've got friends in South Africa. They've got friends in Brazil. They're still talking very much to the Israelis. Remember, it wasn't just the Turks who offered to mediate between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, The Israelis have offered multiple times to do the same because they have a vested interest, uh, of course, in in both sides, in the Ukrainian front and the Russian front at this point. And also, it's a bid for these kinds of countries to to take a bigger you know role on the world stage something that they want to do but it Ignoring the chorus of folks um, that are pro-Russian and pro-sentiment uh, in that way, calling on uh, the West to stop its fake news, uh, we ignore that at our peril. And we talk about that, obviously, with regards to the oil prices. Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and other Gulf Arab uh, oil producers have yet to sanction in any way Russia for this invasion, and they've yet even to speak out in support of Ukraine. Um, so I think that's something we got to really watch and be aware of. I asked Ukraine's foreign minister yesterday in an exclusive interview why he believes Russia's foreign minister even showed up if, as he said multiple times, he wasn't able to answer the questions on humanitarian corridors. He wasn't an- able to answer the question or move anything forward in terms of a ceasefire talk or a framework for potential further peace talks down the line. Listen in to what Dimitro Kuleba had to say to me.
6: Well, unfortunately, I can confirm that uh, Russian leadership, including Minister Lavrov, they live in their own reality. In our talks, behind the closed door, in the absence of the media, he told me, looking in my eyes, that the pictures of pregnant women being taken from under the rubbles of uh, the maternity house are fake, that they hit the maternity house as a military target, because the Russian military was absolutely sure that it's, uh, it's under the control of Ukrainian army. And when I said to him, how, can, how could pregnant women uh, be pictured there, he said, it's fake. So it's, they live in their own reality and perhaps it's good for all of us to allow to contain them in that reality. But before doing it, we have to take them out of Ukraine.
5: Talk to me about the situation at home for you.
6: Well, we have a real tragedy unfolding in front of our eyes. It's the city of Mariupol and I spent large part of today's conversation trying to arrange a humanitarian corridor from Mariupol so that everyone, the most vulnerable parts of the population could leave and more humanitarian aid could be brought into the city. Unfortunately, Mr. Lavrov said he has he's not in a position to agree on this at this uh, and uh, I I feel very bad about it. Don't you
5: find it strange that the foreign minister would come here and then have no ability to negotiate the key elements that you're looking to resolve, at least in the short term?
6: That was one of the issues I tried to figure out. I said, "Okay, we are foreign ministers. By definition, we have the power to make decisions. Uh, And uh, it seems to me he has a different understanding of the role of a foreign minister because he always referred every issue to someone else's responsibility
5: what was it do you think that he was at least hoping to accomplish today uh...
6: i have my thoughts but uh, i don't think uh... it's really time to, to disclose them but uh... definitely he uh... did not have sufficient amount of authority to make any deals today he came to talk to listen and i very much regret because his uh... it was you know more people will die because of his inability to make decisions
5: So again, guys, zero progress made in these conversations. Yesterday, it was the first high-level round of talks between Ukraine and Russia. Later today, here in Antalya, the president of Turkey is expected to make remarks. Also, the NATO secretary general. And we're expecting to sit down with him in a couple of hours from now, guys.
1: Yeah, excellent work, Hadley. Thank you very much indeed for your coverage there out of Turkey. Um, On the corporate front, on the sanctions front, well, Goldman Sachs now and JP Morgan have become the first major US lenders to exit their Russian businesses. Goldman Sachs, which was the first to announce its exit, has been in Russia since 1998 and has a total market exposure of 414 million US dollars. JP Morgan said it is actively unwinding its units adding that current activities are limited. Russian president Vladimir Putin though has warned the Kremlin could seize assets from western companies uh, that have stopped doing business in the country. Putin uh, pledged to find legal solutions adding that the Kremlin would transfer these units to quote those who actually want to work and uh, one area we haven't discussed a lot about jeff as well is the aircraft leasing companies look like they're on the hook for 10 billion dollars worth of planes loaned to russian airlines uh, another huge hit for western companies
0: all sorts of uh, ramifications for us to discuss through the morning steve well president biden uh, reportedly uh, set to announce an end to normal trade relations with russia later today the move uh, is set to be announced in coordination with the European Union and G7, according to multiple reports. It's expected that the measure will allow for further sanctions on Russia. Speaking to CNBC, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said current sanctions on Moscow have had an impact.
3: The sanctions have been devastating in their economic impact. We have all but Cut Russia off from the international financial system Um, you can see that the ruble is in free fall the stock market is closed Uh, stocks that trade in Western exchanges have lost the bulk of their value
0: Janet Yellen there well let's bring in Christopher Granville managing director at TS Lombard and someone who knows the Russian story intimately Good morning to you, Chris. Can I ask you, Janet Yellen Mm. seems to think that there is meaningful impact on the Russian economy already. We obviously have seen movements in the ruble and we know that the stock market has been closed for days. But is it too early to start celebrating any real pain for the Russian economy that could change President Putin's mind?
7: Well, the pain for the Russian economy, that's the easy part of the question, Jeff. The, there's no question that that's there. It's, uh, the, this is a dramatic structural shift in the whole makeup of uh, Russian consumption and production. And there will be a deep recession for sure and very high inflation, uh, despite the central bank's best efforts. So this is a major shock. Uh, but then the more difficult part of your question, uh, any type of assessment of how might the social and economic effects of this asymmetric war, military means on the Russian side, economic and financial means on the Western side, how those effects might filter through uh, both Russian society and the Russian elite uh, to uh, change Russian policy in, uh, in Ukraine and uh, induce uh, the Russian leadership to desist from its uh, invasion, military offensive, and so on. Well, you know, that's, that's a question where uh, everyone's opinion is as good as anyone else's because nothing can be proved. My own judgment uh, would be that the spirit of, uh, of uh, standing up in adversity, which is deeply ingrained in the culture both of Russia and Ukraine, Ukraine, the world has seen that spirit heroically expressed in recent days and weeks in, in resisting the Russian invasion. But that cultural factor is strong in Russia as well, in my view. Uh, And it will need much deeper uh, economic dislocation, some kind of systemic destabilisation or socio-economic breakdown. And I think we're we're still a good way from that. And if I might just say one point, that as long as Russia can get some foreign exchange receipts from selling its uh, resource exports, not only oil and gas, but all the other commodities, uh, minerals and particularly grain, to someone out there, then uh, the Russian economy... Despite what I think most people would agree with, Janet Yellen has been a tremendous hit, tremendously powerful adverse hit. The Russian economy will limp on. And that key buyer and off taker, I think we all know uh, who it is. It's
0: China. Chris, um, just judging Russia by I- its past history of traumatic change, um, does Putin have anything to fear from, from the so-called uh Siloviki, The the people that he himself comes from. You you've got these characters like Alexander uh, Butnikov, uh, head of the FSB, or Nikolai Petrushev, obviously of the uh, the the Security Council. Um these are people surely who will begin to ask the question how much financial pain are we personally willing to take at this stage for the sake of President Putin?
7: Well, I think that 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 question of financial pain, economic pain, the uh, utter and deep disruption of uh, economic patterns built up so laboriously, including by President Putin and his economic team themselves uh, for many years, I mean, that question will be asked, I think, more by the the economic bloc and the the central bank and the business community and the government. uh, And now it would be said that they have less influence on Putin and the the security block, the so called Silver Key, as you quite rightly call them, um, they're, uh, I think, probably less uh, sensitive to um, economic uh, problems uh, and more sensitive to military and security risks. So I think it's more the difficulties of the military campaign in Ukraine that might make advice from that quarter going into uh, the leader, President Putin, uh, more cautious and more inclined to uh, advise flexibility in these. And negotiations around Russia's stated war aims. uh, But I think the economic transmission channel will be through the society. Ultimately, uh, the stability of this type of authoritarian system depends on the assent of the public. Now, that assent can be manufactured or to some degree by propaganda, but not wholly. Uh, Dissent can be repressed by harsh police and uh, security measures, but not wholly. Uh, If there is a serious Uh, inability of the Russian state to compensate households for uh, the, uh, or cushion the loss of living standards, some kind of serious breakdown. If Russia's external current account is blocked uh, more or less completely, then I think the underpinning of the whole system uh, would fall away. And that is a possible scenario. But I think that uh, with still uh, several, uh, sometime in the future, several months, I would argue.
1: I guess what a lot of people want to know in the West, and I've just been up in the Baltics where they have a huge amount of concern about ever trusting Mr. Putin again, Christopher, it is how long is Mr. Putin going to be in position? I think diplomatically it's going to be very hard for Western diplomats to ever trust Vladimir Putin again. Is his position ever going to be untenable with the elite in Russia? Well, I think that uh,
7: the... The need for rotating the leadership is, or the difficulty of that has been very stark in these personalized uh, systems. Um, and we actually had a topical example of that, didn't we, in the case of Kazakhstan um, in January. I mean, so much has happened since then. It's quickly quick to forget that they, there was an almost some up, uh, dramatic upheaval in Kazakhstan, which was repressed. Uh, now, this is all about getting out of a personalized rule. And the Kazakh elite have been trying to induce um, Nosultan Nazarbayev, the uh, historic post-Soviet leader and ruler, uh, to leave for years before he finally did, but didn't quite. And it didn't work. I mean, I think that the lesson of that, if the Russian elite can, can, can draw it, um, and funnily enough, uh, President Putin has said this in, in more or less explicit terms in public, there has to be a clean uh, passage or transmission or transit to a new uh, leader. Uh, and uh after this uh, uh, appalling uh, catastrophe uh, which um, has resulted from president Putin's decisions uh, to invade ukraine uh, there is a uh, this the political transit would be teed up. Putin has given himself the legal option not to do it in the in the political cycle that ends in two years' time uh, but uh, I think that you're um, you're onto something here I think that the uh, the smooth political transit to a new leader, uh, maybe uh, the path of least resistance to, to somehow mitigate this calamity. We're all concerned for uh, Russia, of course, which would be the, the, the concern of uh, the people taking the decisions in Moscow, but also for Ukraine and the rest of the world, given the economic hit.
1: Christopher, this war is just a couple of weeks old, 16 days, I believe it is now as well. Um, The Afghan war with the Russian invasion lasted 10 years. Many people say it led to the fall uh, of the Soviet Union or certainly contributed to that as well. Do you think the West understands how long this conflict can last? Do you think Russia understands how long this conflict can last, given the fact, of course, they they hope to be in Kiev within two days?
7: Well, on the second question, I think that, All the evidence is circumstantial, but I think it's absolutely reasonable to infer that there was a high level of delusion, including in the mind of President Putin himself, about uh, the nature of Ukrainian society. We've seen before that the Kremlin has misjudged Ukrainian society. We saw that in the Orange Revolution in 2004, in the Maidan Revolution in 2013-14, and again now that somehow... Um, Ukrainian Ukrainian people have been turned away by their American masters from their natural affinity and and, and desire for, if not unity, but close association with Russia. With Russia, so those uh, delusions have been exposed, and um, the feedback must be coming through the general staff in Moscow to the Kremlin, the the military commanders, if not uh, anyone else. Now that being so, um, I think that the um, the, des- the need to fall back on. Uh, a uh, some uh, more lighter expression of Russia's war aims to do with Ukrainian neutrality or so called demilitarization uh, will become more powerful. And perhaps there's a hint of that, despite all the negative rhetoric around yesterday's meeting, or you were just reporting on in Turkey between the Russian and the Ukrainian foreign ministers. But I'd just like to make one other point, if you bear with me, is that. The uh, many people around the world will will be hoping that perhaps the political transit we're just talking about or some kind of deep social and economic crunch in Russia would destabilize the the ruling establishment of Putin, the Putin regime, uh, and cause a beneficial change. But I think that this uh, could be one of those things that belong in the category of be careful what you wish for. Systemic destabilization in Russia could have deeply unpredictable and potentially dangerous consequences. Uh, even if uh, the short run it may seem the best way to stop the horrific war going on in Ukraine, and including uh, decisions uh, when, you, when Russia is in, in trouble after the, the failure in Afghanistan, as you quite rightly mentioned, um, uh, deeply um, divisive and centrifugal forces in Russia itself and the integrity of, the, of Russia as a country. I mean, these are tremendously. Uh, Uh, concerning uh, scenarios or possibilities given Russia's size, importance and its status as a nuclear power.
0: Christopher, thanks so much for joining us this morning and helping us understand the picture. Christopher Granville, Managing Director at TS Lombard. Still to come on the programme, US inflation hits a fresh 40-year high as gas, housing and food prices jump. We'll take a look at the numbers when we come back. Also, just a reminder, for more on the Ukraine invasion and what the geopolitical uncertainty means for markets, have a listen to the Squawk Box podcast. We'll be right back. So what a remarkable week we've had in markets. And as we uh, draw to the end of uh, trading week here, you've got some important decisions to make, don't you? You've got to think about what the scenarios could be through the weekend that affect sentiment as we come into Monday morning because how much risk do you want to sit on through the weekend if you are a short-term trader in these markets if you can mind map and look through the weekend and move into uh... the medium or the longer term here maybe you're not so worried about this uh, short-term volatility that we have witnessed but we've kind of been looking at this since the beginning of the year but anyway here we are um, the press conference obviously was a catalyst for markets to say oh we're not really convinced that there's any peace coming anytime soon. The same drivers of market weakness will continue. And here we are, the Nasdaq down nearly 1%, the S&P off nearly a half of 1%, and the Dow uh, shedding about 112 points. Um, Let me just move you on, because I want to take a look at the uh, week-to-date numbers. Uh, And this um, also gives us an interesting snapshot, I think, on just what Unfolded through the course of the week because if you looked at that uh, just that close yesterday, you might have be be of the mindset that it's just been downhill all the way. But of course, we had that breakneck reversal in the middle of the week where the markets, for some reason, got very excited about the prospect of the peace talks happening. They liked the prices. They thought, on a relative basis, this was a good opportunity to switch the pattern of purchasing away from oil, energy and commodities into risk assets once again. But in reality, we're only, and I say only, carefully here down 1.3% on the Dow, the uh, S&P off about 1.6%. The Treasury market has had the same kind of roller coaster ride through the week here. But I think it is noteworthy that we are back at one spot nine, just nudging up against that 2% mark on the 10 year note. So even as we've had the sell down ultimately in the equity markets, you haven't necessarily had that big rush into some parts of the US curve. Here curve here. And I think that's because the messaging from the central banks continues to be one about fighting inflation. But let me just read you something here from Lorenzo Cadono, uh, who, who writes for Omfif. And I thought this was very, very prescient think about central banks. They cannot restore the smooth supply of grain wheat from Ukraine. They cannot find the many rare earth minerals and gases that are likely to run short in international markets. They can only try to support confidence and make sure that the financial plumbing facilitates the smooth functioning of the economy. Is it time for the central banks to talk more about providing liquidity and flexibility than to talk about fighting supply-side inflation, which, Lorenzo Codono points out here, actually they don't have the tools to do. It's a healthy debate and we'll talk about it through the course of the morning. Asian markets, what's the legacy coming into uh, our trading session here in Europe then? How many people want to sit on risk as we come into a two-day weekend? The Nikkei 225 off 2% the Hong Kong market down 1.6% and we're still trying to figure out whether the Hong Kong government is going to proceed or not with this full mainland Chinese style lockdown for Covid testing. They seem to keep flip-flopping on that, which of course is no good for market confidence at all. The European close, this is how we shut up the session ultimately uh, after the markets began to seriously digest the fact that we really have no progress and in fact if anything the fact that the Ukrainian Foreign Minister said it's pretty difficult to listen to what the Russian Foreign Minister Mr Lavrov has to say I think that pretty much summed up the mood coming out of that uh, meeting and inevitably we saw the same suspects those uh, stocks and markets where there is perceived to be greater sensitivity to the Russia Ukraine story taking the biggest hit but I want to come back to the central banking story because I think there's a very interesting question here as to whether Christine Lagarde has made a mistake We all think back to 2008 and Jean-Claude Trichet hiking into a financial crisis. We all understand that these have been extraordinarily easy measures from the central banks for a very long time here. Christine Lagarde, it seems in the language, has finally decided that now is the time to fight inflation. But is it? Should the central bank be more focused on the likely impact to the supply side of the global economy from what is happening in the Ukraine-Russia war and the sanctions imposed. Anyway, uh, the European Central Bank has said it's speeding up the tapering of its stimulus program reducing asset buying from 40 billion euros in April to 30 billion now in May and then just 20 billion ultimately in June and our graphics team have put these handy little red swipes across the date here just to show the shift that we're now seeing in the asset purchase programme plans. Previously, it had expected to gradually phase out the program quarterly throughout the year, with the purchases not falling to 20 billion until the fourth quarter. Well, the ECB is still planning to end its pandemic emergency purchase program this month, with the remaining bond buys happening under its stricter asset purchase program or APP. The central bank was tackling record inflation before the war in Ukraine which has pushed up oil and other commodity prices but will it be RIP then for risk assets on the back of this faster pace of uh, uh, reduction in purchasing? Well the ECB president Christine Lagarde said the Governing Council is doing its best to maintain stability in a volatile environment.
2: Watchers are not those who make governing council decisions. It is the governing council, 25 sensible uh, people around the table who look at what their mandate is, what the projections deliver, what the medium-term outlook for inflation looks like, what the risks are, what the uncertainty is, And on the basis of all that, who are trying to deliver a predictable course, while being very cautious. Doing what you have to do should be the predictable thing. Adding uncertainty to an uncertain situation would not have been the right answer.
1: Meanwhile, U.S. inflation has risen to a 40-year high, jumping 7.9% on the year uh, in February. This was just ahead of expectations, with prices being driven higher by soaring energy costs and increasing food prices. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen spoke exclusively to CNBC and said she is still confident the Federal Reserve can keep inflation in check.
3: We're likely to see another year in which 12-month inflation numbers remain very uncomfortably high. You know, the Federal Reserve is looking very carefully at this. They've indicated uh, that they intend to take actions to bring inflation down. And I have confidence in their ability to um, make a meaningful difference uh, going forward.